Let's open our Bibles today to the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. If you, you didn't bring your Bible this morning, there's a red one there in front of you, and it's on page number 185. If you uh, did bring your Bible, you have to find it on yourself, on your own. The book of Ruth, there are two Old Testament books of the Bible that are named after women, Ruth and Esther. Uh, and, of course, both stories are tremendously inspirational. We've been talking for the last few weeks about different characters of the Bible. And uh, for sure, here is one that we can really learn a lot from. Uh, Ruth made a decision that's been repeated down through history. Some of you have heard it many times at a wedding service, and uh, you'll, you'll sense uh, the familiarity of, of that whenever we get there. So we're reading right now in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Moab was uh, on the east side of Israel, what the Philistines were on the other side. They were perennial enemies of Israel. Uh, this is not a natural thing for an Israelite to do, to even go near a place like that. But these were troublous times. These were horrific times. Um, I heard one time that an editor of a newspaper said that in order to have a good news article, you needed to put as much information in the first sentence of the article as possible. Well, I'll tell you, whenever you read that first verse there of Ruth chapter 1, uh, it seems to me like it's crammed with information. During the time of the judges, that's why Ruth is next in the Bible behind the judges. There was this famine that uh, came in the land of Israel, and this man had to feed his family. And so he went, in his mind's eye, for a short time to this place that no Israelite would ever go under normal circumstances, Moab, uh, his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. I love that word Naomi. It kind of just rolls off your tongue. It's, it's uh, nice to hear. Her name was Naomi, and the names of her two sons were Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Ephrathites, uh, that was the ancient name of Bethlehem. Remember in that Christmas verse that we use so often, but thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, who is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from everlasting to everlasting. Uh, the ancient name of Bethlehem was Ephrath. And so here we find both of those names merged together, Ephrathites of Bethlehem Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. This is interesting. Uh, it seems to me as you read verse number 1 and verse number 2 that it looks like their original intention was just to go there for a while, at least uh, a short period of time, a short stay in this foreign land. 
But a short stay ended up being a long stay. And look what happened in verse number 3. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Things drastically changed for her. The leader of her house, the rock that directed their family to this foreign country, died, got up and died on them. Now they took wives of the women of Moab, the two sons. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth, and they dwelt there about ten years. And this was not a short stay. People didn't live very long back in these days. Life expectancy uh, in, in these areas was sometimes as low as 45 years of age. That was an old person. And so 10 years in their lifetime was a long time. Then both Malon and Kilion also died, so the, women sur- the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Her family, in a period of 10 years, was wiped out. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. What do you do when you lose your husband, when you lose your two kids in a foreign land? Well, she decided that it was time to return, go back where she started from. Maybe she could begin life again. Therefore, she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. Now Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each to your mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them and lifted up their voice and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. The initial reaction of uh, these two daughters-in-law was the fact that they would go back with Naomi up to Jerusalem, up to the Holy Land, uh, that they would go back and start their life in a different place. She had come there. It was their turn now to go up with her. And it's interesting what happens here next in these next few verses. They enter into a discussion, and Naomi puts the pressure on them not to go with her says, listen, I don't want you to come with me. You're going to have a better chance to restart your life down here where you're, where you're familiar, down here in your own country. And so she spent a great deal of her time here trying to persuade uh, these widowed daughters-in-laws of hers to stay in that country. Uh, she was uh, successful for one of them to stay, but not for the other. In the midst of all of this, she was feeling really betrayed in some sense by God. Because look in verse number 13, the end. The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. She said, certainly all of these bad things that have happened to me, certainly God has to have something to do with this. Uh, And so they began to, to cry together, these three women who had lost their husbands. Uh... And she said in verse number 15, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. And I've underlined this because, because this is important, because in Moab they had different gods. They weren't serving the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and the patriarchs. They were serving different gods. These were terrible gods in these foreign lands. 
One of the gods that they had there was a god who encouraged people to offer their little children in sacrifice to this god to appease the god's wrath. It was a terrible thing. And so Ruth said, listen, you're, you're, one of my daughters-in-laws has gone back to her gods. But Ruth now makes this tremendous statement that has been immortalized, and you've heard it probably in your lifetime at a number of weddings. Let's look at it. Verse 16. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you from me. She said, I'm making a, a vow here by the Lord. Uh, this is going to happen. I'm not turning back. I'm not going back to my native country or to my native gods. I'm going with you, Naomi, to the place where you lodge. I'm going with you all the way. Wherever you stop, that's where I'm stopping. The people that you have there, they're going to be my people, and your God's going to be my God. And wherever they bury you, that's where they're going to bury me. You're stuck with me. And so she made this promise. And in verse 18, it says, And when she saw, and she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, and it happened when they had gone to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? They were shocked. After all these years, Naomi had returned. Uh, she, had, she left with great expectations. Her husband was in charge. He was trying to provide for the needs of the family, and she was following his leadership. And uh, she had every reason to have at least some hope, even in a foreign land. But uh, a lot of tragic things happened to her. And here she makes this great decision. Uh, the times that she lived in is given to us in verse number 1. They are said to be the times of the judges, when the judges ruled. I want to encourage you today to, to go home and read uh, the book of Judges, about 21 chapters. Uh, you'll find some very interesting characters in there. It covers a period of about 350 years. And uh, there's probably about 14 judges that God raised up to deliver Israel. Uh, we know how terrible the times were back then because... The last verse of Judges 21 says this. Let's look at it. Judges 21, 25. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. Can you imagine what happens in any land when everyone does that which is right in their own eyes? They have no guidance. Uh, they let their own spirit guide them. Uh, it's a sure cure for disaster. And so in the book of Judges, as you read it, it's like a roller coaster. Uh, there's a cycle that the book of Judges goes through, and I just want to give you the elements of it right now. Uh, the first part of it was the fact that, God that the country departed from God. The country departed from God. 
The second part was God punished them and permitted a military defeat. Uh, you know, countries rise and countries fall. And boy, I'll tell you what, when you read the Old Testament, Israel did that all the time. They were always going up or going down, seldom were they ever level. God punished them and permitted a military defeat. And then what happened is what happens in our country when tough times come. When tough times come in our country, don't people at least try to turn to God? They try to say, hey, listen, I'm not, it's not working out for me. I, I need to go to God. And so that's what they did. Uh, and they would pray prayers of repentance. And in the Bible, there is this standard formula that God gave the people to pray for repentance. And this is it. And what I want to do is ask us to read it together, okay? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now look at that bottom line. Heal their land. Heal their country. Look at the next line up. It says, I'll forgive their sins and then... I'll heal their land. If they turn to me from their wicked ways and repent with a humble heart and seek my face. That's God's standard formula for repentance. And uh, it works individually, but it also works nationally. And so that was the that was the third step. They would come to God and say, "God, we're sorry we departed from you." Uh, we, uh, we repent, uh, we really messed up all sorts of bad things in our life, and they would lay it all out for them. And the fourth thing, God would raise them up a deliverer. After they repented, God would deliver them. So for a period of 300 and year, 350 years, this is the way it went. Uh, they would go into the decline. When they got to the bottom, they decided, well, it's time that we turn to God. The lights went on, and they went, God blessed them again. Well, they started down again. And that's the whole story of the book of Judges. God would send them another deliverer. Uh, that, that was the time of the Judges. It was a tumultuous time. There was a famine in the land. I was reading uh, J. Vernon McGee's commentary on the book of Ruth, and he says, every time a famine is mentioned in the Bible, it is judgment from God. And so what could a man do but to take his family where they could find something to eat? You know, when a country turns its back on God, everyone suffers. Do you know that? I think that's why America is suffering today. I think one of the great reasons that God is pulling off his hand of blessing off of America is because America is turning its back on God. And at every corner, there is a tremendous turning away from God and the principles that America was founded upon. You know, the Bible is very clear. Galatians 6, 7. Let's read it. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Uh, America is reaping what it has sown. Uh, whenever America sows seeds of righteousness, they reap righteous things. 
When they sow seeds of sin, they reap the result. Proverbs 14.34 is another verse along that line. Let's read that. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness lifts up the country. Sin drives it to its destruction. Well, uh, God's hand was upon his people in Israel. They were his people. They were his chosen people. And so some good people were suffering because God's hand of punishment was on Israel. You know, whenever I read this story, I, I look at these people as the perfect family. Uh, there they are, Elimelech, his wife Naomi, their two sons, Malon and Kilion. They were the perfect family. Uh, they didn't deserve to go through all of these the things that they went through, but uh, they were victims of circumstances. Elimelech uh, means, my God is king. How'd you like to live up to that name? My God is king. I, th I have every reason to think he lived up to his name. This last summer, I met a man whose name was Billy Graham. And uh, I said to him instinctively, Boy, that's a hard name to live up to, isn't it? He says, it sure is. Naomi's name was Pleasant. Malon's name meant unhealthy. Maybe that's why he died early. Kilion's name was Puny. Maybe he was little when he was born, and his mother said, let's just name him Puny. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why people name their kids the names they do. Have you ever wondered that? It's a mystery, isn't it? But we won't go there. That's too complicated. Why do bad things happen to good people? Good people live in a fallen world and pay the price for other people's bad decisions. That's why. They remained in Moab. Uh, here they are. There's this family. They need their husband. Uh, Naomi needs her husband more than ever. He up and died on them. Their spiritual rock is gone. Her boys married uh, that's a natural thing for boys to do. But there was always a, an issue with marriage as you read through the Old Testament. God says, listen, I don't want you to marry outside of your faith. You need to marry somebody who's worshiping the same God that you are worshiping. Here's, here's one of the instances right here in 1 Kings chapter 11. Let's read this. From the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel... You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. He says, listen, whenever you're looking for a wife and whenever you're looking for a husband, you find somebody that has the same God you have. Uh, I try to encourage people, and I know in our youth work we try to encourage uh, guys to find girls who love God more than they love anyone else. Uh, and that's hard to do in our culture today. But all sorts of bad things happen whenever uh, that doesn't take place. Uh, and so they went and got married. Uh, they married Orpah, and, uh, whose name was Stubborn. There's always some of them, isn't there? 
And then there was Ruth. Her name was Friendship. But after a period of time, uh, Elimelech died and the two boys died. And what then could Naomi do but return home? She began to retrace her steps. Uh, it was a bittersweet experience. I'm sure she, she often thought about going home, but never like this. And, you know, maybe these decisions were mistakes, and I'm sure all, all sorts of things were going through her mind. Uh, it has been suggested that Elimelech might have taken his family too prematurely out of the land of blessing into, the, into Moab. Maybe he didn't have enough faith. Sometimes we make decisions and, and we say that, you know, maybe I did it too prematurely. Maybe I didn't uh, do it by faith. Uh, but now here they are in this foreign land. There is uh, Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws. And she's in this dialogue with them and she's persuading them to stay home, not to go with her. And the reason why is because Naomi's path was going to be a path of poverty. A path of poverty. She had nothing to offer them. They already had her sons, but her sons were dead now. And so she said to them, I want you to stay in this land and get remarried. Start your life over again. You're going to have a better chance here. And she pursued that course with them, and one of them took her up on it. Uh, Stay in your own land. Marriage back in that time meant security. And Naomi was trying to look out for their best interest. But she could not dissuade Ruth to stay in this foreign, idolatrous land. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 27 is an interesting verse, and let's read this. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world, to visit orphans and widows in trouble. Do you know what Ruth was trying to do for her mother-in-law? She was trying to support her to take care of her. She knew that Naomi's future was bleak, that Naomi was going back to poverty because she had lost her husband, her means of support. And so she would go with her. You couldn't get a mother-in-law joke out of Ruth. She loved her mother-in-law. And so she, she speaks these immortal words that are used down through the centuries when husbands and wives uh, are married. And she says, I'm sticking with you. I'm taking care of you. Uh, This was a selfless decision. She said, I'm going to face poverty with you, and we'll do this poverty thing together. Uh, One of the families, one of our good families in the church, rich and pegged to catch, was here in Saturday service. And uh, Peg uh, has a medical background. She's worked for a lot of doctors. And, and uh, when we were talking about this thing, she wrote this little note to me. And she gave it to me after the service. She wasn't, we weren't passing notes during the service. <laughs> she gave this to me after. And she said, I work for a doctor. And he had this thing 
uh, on his door so all the patients could read it. It says, God and the doctor we all adore on the brink of danger, not before. Then alas, when the crisis is past, God is forgotten and the doctor paid last. Uh, it was uh, interesting in light of this. The nation of Israel, uh, whenever they, when God rescued them, they forgot him. And she said, listen to Naomi, I know you've lost a lot, but I'm going to go with you. Turn over in the, the, to me, with me to the book of Leviticus. It's just a few pages to the left from where you are. The book of Leviticus, chapter 19, I, I want to show you what kind of future, what kind of future Naomi had facing her when she went back to Bethlehem. Leviticus, chapter 19, verse number 9. And when you reap the harvest of the land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. This was Naomi's future when she went back home. She would become a gleaner. She would go into the fields that, that were not completely picked, and she would have to go find and dig out on a daily basis provision that was made by the Lord and this law. And what Ruth was saying in effect, listen, I'm going to go be a gleaner with you. I'm going to turn my back on probably what you said is right. Maybe I could find a husband down here. Maybe I could restart my life. But I'm going to make this selfless decision and help you restart your life. And I'll go and be a gleaner with you. She would stay, she said, with Naomi till death do us part. She signed on for good. Yeah, you know, there are always barriers to come to God. Uh, we have people in our church uh, all over the place that are just trying to come to God and Satan is throwing up strongholds and barriers in front of them. If you come to God, this is the price you're going to have to pay. If you come to God, you're going to have to stop this. You're going to have to quit that relationship. Uh, you're going to have to abandon this practice. Uh, you may have to get another form of income. Uh, people always have to get through barriers in order to come to God. And Ruth did too. Uh, Ruth had to get over barriers as well. Her heritage, she had to turn her back on that. It was an idolatrous heritage, but it was her heritage nonetheless. You know, oftentimes when people come to God, they are completely ostracized from their family. Whenever, oftentimes an Israeli will come to God and they will have a funeral service for them. And they will... They will declare that family member dead, and there will be no interaction thereafter. What a tragic thing. How would you like to deal with that? I'll tell you what, that is one of the biggest barriers that there is. I've talked to people that said, listen, I, would, uh, I, would, I want to come to God, but I can't because I'll hurt my grandmother and her faith. 
I want to come to Christ and serve him, but they don't believe that in the church in which I was raised, and I don't want to hurt my parents. Boy, that's a barrier. That is a really big barrier. Some people say, well, you know, I don't want to come to God because I'll lose money. I'll have to change my profession. Uh, I do some shady things, and I know if I come to God, that the end of that, that's the end of that. And so there are all these barriers that people have to get out of the way. Uh, Ruth had plenty. What would her friends say? Why are you going to that foreign land? Uh, And she got over all these barriers by her faith because Naomi had had a tremendous impact on her. And so she said, listen, you know, I, I like what I see in Naomi and I like what I see in Naomi's God. And so here we find that this was a bittersweet experience. Uh, here they come. Let's look now in Ruth chapter 1, verse 19. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, and it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? Question mark. A lot had changed in 10 years. Now you just think of this. If the life expectancy in that time was 45 years old, 10 years is an awful lot of living time. And here is a woman that was caused to uproot her family and go into a foreign place, an idolatrous land, and try to start her life again. And all of a sudden, and I don't know when it happened, the rock of her family passes away and dies. And her heart is broken. And then her two boys die. And her heart is broken three times. And here she comes back, wandering up the road. And I'm just wondering, I'm not stating, but I'm just wondering if she looked different. Look at verse 20. But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, but Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I do know one thing that she said, I know that God is in charge of all things. And God has allowed this to happen. And, uh, and she further explained it in verse number 21. She said, I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again. You know, uh, there is a fullness. There really is when you have a family. Uh, Not when you have money, because money can't make a family. Money can't make a home. I had a man tell me one time who worked real hard to become a millionaire. He said, you know, I was much happier in life when I had nothing. I I was much happier. Uh, And so whenever she referred to going out full, what she meant is she had her family. You know, when you have your family, you have everything. You know that? You really do. And she said, I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? And so her dreams went up in smoke. Those losses took a toll. Her dreams were gone. Uh, Some of you have uh, conveyed your sympathies to to my family. And you know, 
whenever I put this message together, I, I, I wasn't thinking of it in relationship to our family. Uh, but you know, when you lose somebody close in your family, there's no way that anybody can really identify with that. Uh, as you know, and I've written in our little paper that, that uh, a week or so ago, my sister called me and told me that her husband had died. I married my sister and her husband uh, in the little church over in South Park. Uh, Larry was a bigger-than-life character, six foot five. Wherever he, wherever he went, the room lit up. He used to wear this big white suit with a pink shirt. Only Larry would do anything like that. And they said at the funeral, some little girl saw him and said, Are you Jesus? You know, I've done a lot of funerals, but I, I've never had too many of the people in my, my world die on me. I was 31 years old when my father died. Uh, it all went past me so quickly. I was so young and filled with energy and enthusiasm. I, I don't think I had a lot of sense at all. And that all went by me pretty quickly. But when my little sister called me on that Thursday morning at 7.30 and said, I'll never forget it. Johnny, help me. I'll never forget that. She said, Larry has fallen in the bathroom and hit his head, and he's unconscious. And I, I said, put me on with the EMT, the emergency worker. And she said, uh, he has no pulse, has no pulse. About an hour later, she called me back, and she said, Larry is gone. They were making plans to buy a condominium in Columbus, and Larry was making business plans to expand his business, and he was going 100 miles an hour, as he always did. But just like that, her dreams were gone. I've done a lot of funeral services, but I've never been to a funeral home and picked out a casket before. I've never sat in a meeting with a funeral director for two and a half hours. I've never gone to a cemetery and said, that'll be okay right there. I've never gone to the florist with my little sister on my arm. I never did that before. I never realized how painful that is. I never realized. You know, when we go to funerals, we say, I understand. We, I, you know that we don't understand. And so uh, I can identify a little bit more with this message this morning because I just walked through this. Uh, I'm sure that uh, whenever this happens to people in their lives, they could look and say, why me? You know, my friend's husband lived to be 90 or 80, and why me? Why did my husband die young? Well, 
She uh, thought she was returning empty-handed here, but uh, she had Ruth and she had God. And I think it took her a little time to really understand that, but whenever chapter 2 starts out, I'll tell you what, her life starts to go back uphill. Uh, because Hebrews 13.5 says, There is this promise in the Bible, I will never leave you or forsake you. You know, there are so many things in life, almost everything in life we have no control over. We just have to roll with the punches. Uh, and so here she is. She's back where she started. God would lead her on. Her broken life would now be rebuilt. And she would have to start again. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, life is filled with these crossroads experiences. We, uh, we have to begin again. We fall down. We have to begin again. Bad things happen, we get up. We have to begin again. But she did the right thing. She went back to her home, and she went back to her God, and she didn't drop out on God. Uh, many people I know have a life verse. How many people here have a life verse? You, you've chosen a verse. You said, that verse is for my life. Raise your hand. Quite a few of you. I've never had a life verse. But I think if I did, it would be Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things should be added unto you. In life, we get knocked all over the place. We have our heart broken. We have our dreams stolen. And we have our heart crushed time and time again. Uh, but God doesn't want us to stop. Uh, he sends people alongside of us to help us in our brokenness and in our poverty, like Ruth. And whenever we are down, he sends people to our aid. And it's really amazing to me right here that here comes these strangers from Moab. And the people who knew Naomi said, is this Naomi? She doesn't look like the Naomi she used to look like. As I looked at my sister this last week, I said to myself, I don't think there's any life left in her. But there is. It's hard to give up things in life that we acquire. It's hard to lose what you want to hold on to the most. But somehow she got through it and God sent her a friend. And she knew that uh, God would be with her in the future. And I want to encourage you, whatever situation you're in today, uh, to look up to God for the rest of your life. Every time you get knocked down, I want you to look up. Every time you think this is the end, God has a new beginning for you. Uh, we can never turn back the clock. We only have one direction in which we can go, and that's to the future. And so God had a future for her, and that's my message for you today. God has a future for you. No matter how broken you are, no matter how much pain you've gone through in life, listen, you read the next chapter of Ruth.
and the next chapter of Ruth and the next chapter of Ruth. And you'll see that God has something for you in the future. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Uh, maybe you're sitting here today and you're at a crossroads in your life. Maybe you have, maybe you have uh, been wondering why you're here in church today. Now you know. Maybe you've been thinking about just throwing your hands up and heading back to where you came from and going back to the old life. Listen, now, let me tell you that's not the answer. The answer is going into the future with God, letting him restore you, letting him give you a future. Dear Lord, as we come to the end of our service today, I pray that you will help us uh, to see in this tremendous story something that we can apply to our life. I pray, Almighty God, that you will just sweep over our church today into that heart of somebody who thinks they can't go on, somebody who thinks they have lost too much to continue on, I pray that you'll give them hope. Bring them back to Bethlehem, Lord, to begin again with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's